what you do in a B-movie. The end is a little bit ridiculous. I was unsurprised to see that. And it's sweet! Oh my gosh, you guys need to go watch it. It's so good. It's so good. I want to watch it again. Hello, weary internet travelers, and welcome again to the Before and After podcast. Um, I'm your host, MJ Smith, and if you haven't listened to the show before, each week I take a film that I've never seen before and give you my expectations for it, and then the following week I will have watched the film and I'll let you know what I thought about it. And this week I am joined by Mr. Corey Tyndall. Hello. How's it going? Good. Good. Now, Corey's here because you heard a sweet little ditty at the top of the episode today, and Corey is the man who wrote and performed and recorded that, so that guitar playing is him, <laughs> the voice clips are me. Yes. So Our uh, powers combined. Yes. <laughs> wonder Twins. Yeah. Podcast Wonder Twins. <laughs> so, yeah, Corey emailed the show a few weeks back, and... Uh, said he wanted to write music for it and i said yes please because we're missing a theme song (laughs) so i really like it um do you want to talk about what inspired you to write the song and like where you sort of drew influence for the actual song yeah yeah i can definitely share about that um yeah like mj said um a while back you know i'm a fan of the show like to listen to it i was just like i think it'd be really cool if like there was some music in there and so i just i was like crazy idea i'll ask mj and he was like yeah that's awesome. So I was like, okay. And I love to write music and perform music. I've been doing music for a really long time. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I want to do something to help like fit the vibe of the show. And uh, actually, before I kind of go into like a little bit more of like what inspired me and all that stuff, I want to hear like kind of some of your initial reactions when like you listen to some of the stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> you would ask me for like some examples of like mm-hmm. other podcast themes and I sent you two specifically um one the Jetpack Hughes Sunset Blues yeah. theme from the Nerdist podcast by mm-hmm. Anamanaguchi which is a chiptunes band um it's a sweet song yeah. <laughs> um and then also the WTF with Mark Marin podcast who yeah. um that's the one I got the most vibe from it sounded mm-hmm. very much like that one yeah um with voice clips from stuff he'd done mm-hmm. um overlaid over like a guitar riff and stuff yeah it also reminded me of um I don't know if you ever watched Zero Punctuation on The Escapist uh, no, I've heard, I've heard of it, but no, I haven't. Okay, yeah. it kind of, for some reason it reminded me of that. It doesn't sound anything like it, but okay. it reminded me of that show's theme song. We have song. no copyright problems. No. <laughs> yeah. No, that one's more like a, like a hard rock, almost metal riff. Yeah. But for some reason, it just like, I don't know, I got the same vibe from All it. Right. I think it was the drums. Yeah. That gave me the vibe from it, so. Cool. I remember, uh, listening to it, I, I listened to it with Kristen, my fiance. Yeah. And, uh, I was just like, oh, there's... The show has music now. Like this is amazing. <laughs> so what? What's inspired the actual like? Well, okay, because I always like to, you know, I'm an artist, so I think like even if people are like, oh yeah, just make art, whatever, without any intended purpose, like that's like a purpose in itself. So I always like to hear kind of what people get out of, you know, like whatever an artist produce. 
So, um, kind of like inspiration for the song, um, I have a lot of background in like jazz music and um, I always tell people like I like music that grooves and mm. so um, at the time actually I was kind of listening to a lot of um, a lot of jazz music but actually it's like I'd been watching a couple episodes of Cowboy Bebop. Oh that's super funny. And uh, um, for if any of you guys have watched Cowboy Bebop it's a great show but awesome. the music is stellar. It's the guy so wrote the music good. For it, and a lot of the episodes are kind of like based around like different musical themes and it's just it's so good. Yeah. Just check it out alone for the music. But I've been listening to a lot of that and so there's a lot of like jazz hybrid infused music in there and so that was kind of something that had just been on my mind like you know after I had suggested you know writing music for you and I was like I want to channel a little bit of that into into like the songs and so that's kind of where some of it came from and like just you know experimenting with different musical ideas that's super funny because (laughs) I we had just the last time we had seen each other we had just talked about Cowboy Bebop and just started watching it and about how awesome the music is in that show yeah like the opening theme yeah and the name of the track is Jumpy Jazz right? yeah that's the the official title yeah the the official title so sweet yeah so how long have you been doing music um well i officially started like um formal music education i guess you can say that like uh middle school i was i was like i guess a little bit late to the party i didn't start in elementary school but played clarinet and saxophone all the way up through uh high school and college but i really got like captured by jazz i mean i participated in like you know the classical music groups and like regular concert band whatever but it was jazz band and it was jazz music that really just captivated me and i was thinking about this the other day i'm like what is it about jazz music that i feel like really drawn to and i think like for just for technical terms sake it's like it's this thing in music called a uh, syncopation mm-hmm. and so just a quick Uh, definition that's kind of like music that has like rhythms or melodies that are like stressed in like a different way and so primarily like rhythms and stuff so it's like you get beats on different different parts that you normally wouldn't expect them in like normal western music so if you go listen to a lot of music from different places around the world there's a lot of different like syncopation and so that's something that a lot of jazz music does just even like swinging Mm -hmm. a beat in general and so that's something I just really love. Um, as I went on to like do music <laughs> um, throughout like college and stuff, a lot of the bands I'd listen to, so like The Police, oh, or yeah. <laughs> so a lot of like kind of like reggae, jazz infused stuff like that. Big favorites of mine. Okay, so who's who's like your favorite jazz person? Jazz. Um, I remember when I was playing a uh, um, saxophone a lot. Because I played saxophone in high school and college. And then after I got done with college, I'm kind of like, saxophone is not the most versatile instrument, <laughs> so I better pick up bass or guitar or something. Um, but when I was playing saxophone, Charlie Parker Bird. was one of the uh, the jazz musicians that really influenced me. Um, I love him. He's just he's so talented. And then there's other people like John Coltrane and Miles mm-hmm. Davis, just how they were kind of like pioneers into different parts of jazz and just how it expanded um and yeah like now more days i play like guitar and mm-hmm. uh bass and so there's people like uh 
Jaco Pistorius, he's a really famous bass player who just pioneered this different sound. And people like Victor Wooten. Victor Mark, Wooten. Yeah. He knows how to slap that bass. Yeah, he he's amazing. He is amazing. <laughs> so people like that, like they all they all kind of come out of the same like roots of jazz, but they've gone different places or just done things with it that are like really just amazing. So Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. That's awesome. Um I play the drums. And so a lot of, like, my jazz knowledge comes from a lot of drummers, Gene Krupa, and... Uh, Buddy Rich. Buddy Rich, one of the all-time greats. And yeah. uh, I get a lot of crap when I mention this, but, like, Dave Matthews Band is one of my favorite bands of all time because no, of the, Carter Beaufort. He's so good. He's so good. He's such a good drummer. He's my favorite drummer of all time. Carter Beaufort is, like, if I could be any drummer, I could be... I would want to be Carter going Beaufort. on the record, guys. Favorite <laughs> drummer of all time. Of all time. So he's, now everyone's going to look up Dave Matthews' band. You should. Go watch... Uh, he's actually childhood friends with Victor Wooten. Sometimes yeah. Victor Wooten, like, Dave Matthews' band will have him, like, just... They did an album together. Oh, did they? Yeah. Um, wow. There's a whole documentary about them making the album, and, like, Carter gets really frustrated with them at some point, <laughs> because Victor's playing in all these weird time signatures, and he's like, we yeah. just do 4-4 four, four in, in yeah. Dave Matthews' band, and I can play around that, but this is hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I didn't know until right now that you were this into jazz, Yeah, actually. Big, big jazz person, and, um, yeah, so it influences a lot of my musical i mean like i listen to other genres of music yeah, yeah, i yeah. like other a lot of different stuff but uh yeah it's a big like influence in just what i do and like even just how i write music okay i mean naturally you know some people would be like Corey, can you just write something like four four straight i just <laughs> have a tendency to swing stuff um, or like to to naturally like let me throw this like nice groove in there yeah and, you know, so that's awesome. Cool. So uh, we got uh, quite a bit of background on your on your musical uh, history and, and upbringing. Like, yeah. that's what you do. So yeah. you're obviously super passionate about it, and that's that's sweet. Yeah. Um, we're gonna have to talk offline about jazz because I don't know that much about jazz, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> yeah. So you know, this is a film podcast. We celebrate yeah. all forms of art here, but mm-hmm. this is uh, ultimately yes. a film podcast. So have you watched anything within the last couple of weeks that you want to talk about? Actually, I have uh, recently. Um, I'd love to get your opinions on this. Let's see, when was it? Actually, last yeah, last night. Um, rented some movies and I watched uh, the. I think it's now you see it or oh, Magic Heist. Yeah, now you ma- see me. Now you see me. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I did see that. Um, I I enjoyed it for the most part. I'm gonna say 75% of it I enjoyed. Um, and I feel like a lot of people, stuff I read, it's like my problem with it was kind of like the last like 15 minutes of yep. the movie. Yes. <laughs> the pacing was really good. I was I was very much like invested in it. I think the, the characters in it, um, uh, Mark Ruffalo does a really good job. Mark Ruffalo is the best part of that movie. Really good. Really entertaining. Um, but yeah, it's just the last 15 minutes, I feel. Where it's just like, and magic exists. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I was All like, right. I was what, like, what's happening? And I understand, um, like, you know, the the movie kind of kept playing up this whole theme, like, don't look too closely or you'll miss it. Mm-hmm. And so there's part of me that, like, I try to give the director credit of, like, okay, maybe they were really trying to, like, subvert the trope here of, mm-hmm. like, you know, the whole, like, magic thing and, like, 
but Mark Ruffalo is cast as like the the police guy, and he's kind of like the voice of reason. And so there's there's certain understoods when I went when I go into a movie, it's like I know I have to suspend my disbelief. But I'm like, okay, so he's kind of representing like this idea or this thing, and so I was kind of not expecting that. There was a very like crazy turn at the end, and I just I felt like there wasn't enough there to even like warrant it yeah because it happened and i was watching it with my wife hannah and i was just like what what is going on <laughs> what what is going on mark ruffalo i don't even know you anymore yeah yep um i liked that movie i thought it was super ridiculous that movie was <laughs> insane yeah um and i thought mark ruffalo was the only person that knew that movie was super insane because his facial expressions are out of control in that yeah. movie and i love it <laughs> he's just like every shot of him is just him making the like craziest face he could make in that situation yeah. and it's awesome my other favorite part of that movie is when there's a fist fight with magic when there's, uh, is it Jesse Eisenberg gets attacked in his apartment by Mark Ruffalo? No, it's, uh, um, I just blanked on his name. No, it's the other guy. It's the, the pickpocket character. Oh, yeah. Who is that? I don't, I don't remember that guy's, to the IMDb's. IMDb's. But anyway, as MJ looks this up, um, this guy, there's like a stakeout and like, you know, three of the four horsemen are leaving the apartment and this guy stays there and, you know, um, Mark Ruffalo and like the rest of the police go in there to like, you know, oh, sting operation, we'll get him out. Dave Franco. Dave Franco. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> there we go. And this, this fight ensues in this apartment that is... A little bit ridiculous, MJ. It's my favorite Tell part us. of that whole movie. <laughs> so, um, who is it that attacks him? Um, uh, is it Mark Ruffalo's partner first? Yeah, so yeah. it's like the police The police attack this yeah. guy who's a, a magician. Yeah. And um, he fights them with the elements of magic. Yes. And it's the goofiest thing I've ever seen, and I love it. Because like, he's like... <laughs> throwing punches but also he's got flash paper in his hand so he's just like there's like flames shooting out of his hands to like distract the cops and he's like using literal smoke and mirrors to like make it look like he's in one room but he's actually in a different room so they go and attack a mirror and then there's like a part where he's like throwing cards at a guy there's literally it's like he's he's dispatched like mark ruffalo's partner like in the kitchen and mark ruffalo chases him into this other room and you know he kind of has him like so the guy's is like his back is against the wall and then he pulls out like playing cards and Mark Ruffalo is just standing there again with these great like facial expressions and he's just like magic like playing cards really yeah and then he just like he just starts like throwing like almost like Gambit but not even a little bit as believable yeah even though Gambit's a comic book character man that's my favorite scene in that entire movie Uh, so um yeah I mean like I enjoyed it I guess it did well enough to garner a sequel yeah for some reason I just you know, and I, I always enjoy, you know, like Michael Caine and uh, Morgan, Freeman. Morgan Freeman were in it. And so that was that was kind of cool. I just, yeah, just the last the last 15 minutes. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it wasn't well tied yeah. together, I think. It was no. just like, there was a lot of ambitious things happening and plot lines and just even how they like resolve Mark Ruffalo's character. I just, I just <clears> didn't <throat> feel like it was earned. Maybe if they had had a couple more scenes where there was more of a direct explanation of like, how all this stuff tied together and just kind of how the four horsemen fit into it. It's just, yeah. 
Yeah. It was, it seemed like tacked on and like almost like they were having a twist for the sake of having a twist because it's a movie about magic. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Um, But if you have listened to the podcast before, you know I love magic so much. (laughs) So I like, I was already biased going into this movie because I just am amazed by magic and magicians and stuff. Um, If you remember, I reviewed this movie called Make Believe. Mm -hmm. Um, Have you seen Make Believe? No, I haven't. You need to watch it. I don't know if you listened to the episode where I talk about it, but it's about these four kids who go to the World Magic Championships in... Vegas, mm-hmm. and they're like teenage kids from like Japan, South Africa, uh, and then like three from America. Yeah, and they all go and compete in this like magician tournament, mm-hmm. and it's really good. Yeah, <laughs> it's really good. Um, yeah, I've reviewed that before. So, uh, did you watch anything else this week? Um, yeah, and then I I watched this other like kind of like weird indie. I think it's a Canadian based film, but it's called What If. Um, is that the Daniel Radcliffe? Yes, one? it okay. is. It is. Um, so, my wife is a really big uh, Harry Potter fan. We're not. <clears throat> we're not about the movies. They're you know they're hit and miss, but obviously the books are so much better. So anyway, like Hannah, um, my wife Hannah was like, "Oh look, Daniel Radcliffe's in this movie. Let's see if like he can make us you know not believe he's Harry Potter." Yeah. So have you have you seen any of his other uh, post Harry Potter movies? No, I have not. Okay. So this was the first one for me. And actually, I, I kind of enjoyed it. I feel like it was a more of like a indie modern take of like When Harry Met Sally. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, and it was, the dialogue was really good. It was very like fast and kind of like witty, like kind of British yeah. in take of like, you know, everything just is like very snappy. Yeah. So. Is he British in the movie? Um, they're, It's in Canada. Oh, okay. So yeah, they do. He's got his accent. And oh, stuff, wow. So. Yeah. So what did you think specifically about him? I've talked about this uh, on the (laughs) podcast before, so I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I felt like um, from just what I've seen him in interviews and like kind of what my wife says, it's like I felt like he was playing himself. And it was, you know, he's kind of he's kind of witty. And sometimes, you know, when people interview him and like they ask him questions, sometimes he kind of gives these like fast kind of like witty Mm -hmm. remarks and stuff. And I felt like that's kind of who he was in the movie. And so I feel like it worked really well and kind of just they the character that they had him play. He's kind of this guy who's kind of like disillusioned about love and, you know, like, oh, I'm going to be friends with this girl. And I kind of like her. I just felt like it it fit. So it's like they'd have lines written where he'd say like kind of like awkward things, but it wasn't like, oh, you're trying too hard. or You're overacting, which I feel like. In the Harry Potter movies, there's a whole there's a whole plethora of problems because you know Harry is kind of like the reader as a character, and so it's kind of hard. And so I just feel like there's a lot of like lines that are like overacted, or it's like what is what's going on. But this movie, it was a lot more just like yeah, I can believe Daniel Radcliffe is this character. So yeah, no, I agree. Um, I am <clears throat> really impressed with the way he's handled his post Harry Potter career yeah. uh, more than anyone else that <laughs> has come out of those movies actually. <laughs> Um, I tried watching The Woman in Black, and that was a bust. I turned it off. I hated that movie. Yeah, it was so boring. Yeah. <laughs> that movie was so boring. But, like, he wasn't too bad in it. Like, I, 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 mm-hmm. I've seen two of his post-Harry Potter movies now. Yeah. And in neither one of them did I think, oh, this is the guy that played Harry Potter. Yeah. Um, there's an episode of the Nerdist podcast that mm-hmm. he's on, and he's really cool. He seems like a really, like, down-to-earth, chill guy. I don't yeah. know how he didn't end up super screwed up <laughs> after those movies. It, like... <laughs> It made me respect him a lot, so I was like, 
well, I'm going to watch almost everything, like, yeah. whatever I can from you. Like, I really mm-hmm. like you as a person. Yeah. You seem super nice. Like, you don't seem like you have a big head about it at all. Yeah. Um, he just seems like a normal, like, 20-something guy. Yeah. And, like, he was in a movie called Horns, which I talked about with uh, my friend Emily on the podcast. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. that movie was really interesting. I, I think what you said is, like, he plays himself a yeah. lot. Um, he doesn't necessarily play like a guy who has like a bunch of witty responses, mm-hmm. but he very much shows through the cracks of the character, Yeah, which it's a good performance, but it's like, you can't fully, fully buy into it. Mm-hmm. I called it like sort of like Leonardo DiCaprio sy- syndrome, where yeah. like the reason I think Leonardo DiCaprio doesn't have an Oscar, even though people think he should, and I kind of agree, yeah. is because every time I see him in movies, I love him. I yeah. love Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. I watch any movie with Leonardo DiCaprio in it. Every time I see him, I don't go, that guy exists. I go, Leonardo DiCaprio yeah. is doing a good job playing that guy. Yeah, it's like he doesn't like fully melt into the role because you're still aware of like, oh, Le- Leonardo DiCaprio is so good in this role, but you're not like, oh, I'm just seeing this character yeah. fully. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, and Daniel Radcliffe was the same. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, Daniel Radcliffe in Horns is really good yeah. as whatever his character's name yeah. was yeah. in Horns. Mm-hmm. So it's not bad. Like, he's still a really good actor and, like, yeah. super believable and likable. And mm-hmm. um, I'm really interested to see how that shakes out for him. Because I think, I think he could have, like, a potential career trajectory like uh, DiCaprio. If, yeah. If, like, the right director gets a hold of him the way Scorsese did mm-hmm. with uh, Leo post-Titanic, like... Yeah. You know, I think Leo had this sort of thing where he fell into the, the teen heartthrob yeah. trap. And he was <laughs> like, oh, I need to distance myself from that really yeah, hardcore. Like, and he, like, took some time off and, like, came back in Gangs in New York with Scorsese. And it yeah. worked out really nicely for him. Yeah. And, like, Daniel Radcliffe did the same thing. He was like, I'm going to distance myself from Harry Potter. I'm mm-hmm. not going to... Take that type of role again. Right. I'm going to be in, like, a horror movie or two. And, like, be, like... In Horns, he's, like, not the best guy on the planet. He's not a bad guy, but he's, like... You know, he's got some... There's some moral ambiguous things he does. And, like, he ends up killing a couple people in that movie. Mm. (laughs) Like, um... Yeah, so so he he very much made right the good choices. Yeah. To get away from that, I think. Mm. So, I'm interested to see where that guy goes. Yeah. So... Is that it? Is that all you watched this week? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, that was pretty... I'm not watching any, like, really ongoing series mm. on TV or anything, so... Got it. Um, what about you, MJ? <clears throat> well, I watched uh, Bringing It Back to what we started talking about. <laughs> I actually saw uh, Best Picture nominee this week Okay. called Whiplash. Oh, yes, with uh, J.K. Simmons. Yep, J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. Um, Man, uh, I do not understand how this movie didn't win Best Picture. I knew I was going to like it right from the start. Like I said, I play the drums. I'm not a jazz mm. drummer, but I play the drums. Um, it's so good, man. That movie's I so good. It. It's so good. Um, J.K. Simmons is one of the most horrifying people I've ever seen. That <laughs> character is the, one of the most despicable and evil characters I have ever seen in a movie. Wow. And he's so good at it. Um, it's, oh, man, that movie, I, I, I read a, th- a comment online about how it takes a relationship between a teacher and a student and makes it into a psychological thriller. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what it is. Like he just, he's the most manipulative, like maniacal mm-hmm. person I can remember in like recent years. He just gets, he works his way into this kid's life and just uses everything this kid tells him against him. Wow. And it's crazy. Like it's not, it movie's exhausting to watch. Yeah. It's, I was so tired by the end of it. 
I remember pausing Ugh. it. I paused <laughs> it to go to the bathroom, and I was like, how much longer do we have in this? And we still had a half hour in it, and I felt like we had been watching it for, like, three hours. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is taking a toll. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's super, super well acted. J.K. Simmons is incredible in it. Yeah. He absolutely earned his Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, Miles Teller... Uh, the guy who plays the drummer kid, mm-hmm. he's incredible in it, and I don't like that guy. And he was really good in what it. What else has he been in? He was in this sort of indie movie called um, The Spectacular Now, and he played this teenage alcoholic. Um, he was a super unlikable character, mm-hmm. but I also didn't like his performance of the super unlikable oh. character in the movie. Um, and, like, I don't know, his face bothers me. Like, uh, <laughs> I call him Melted Elvis. Like, he looks like he was a wax statue of Elvis that someone held a candle up to and he, like, melted a little bit. He's going to be playing uh, Richard Reed in the Fantastic oh, Four okay. reboot. Um, we'll see how that goes. Now I'm on the fence about that guy because I yeah. saw one movie that I really didn't like him in and one movie I loved him in. So uh, I was really impressed because he does all his own drumming in the movie. Really? He does all his own drumming in the movie. Wow. And, like, it's crazy. Like, they make him play some. Weird stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah, well, they make him play Whiplash and, uh, mm-hmm. oh, what's the other piece? Caravan. They make him yeah. play Caravan. And that okay. sh- song is so fast. Yeah. Uh, that's that's a major, like, plot point of of the movie is um, is him trying to get the double-time swing yeah. rhythm down. Like, that's that that revolves heavily around that. Um, but it's, oh, man, that movie's so good. I right. want to watch it again. <laughs> like, yeah, now I want to watch it. <laughs> it's so, so good. Um, J.K. Simmons is, like the most insane intense like leader of a group of people that i've seen since Would you want him to be a coach for you anyway? no no <laughs> nope um he's like the drill instructor from full metal jacket like just oh. screaming obscenities at these guys and like yeah. calling them the like the worst names yeah. possible <laughs> and throwing chairs at them and stuff and Ugh. like all in the name of yeah uh this isn't really a spoiler, but all in the name of like his whole motivation is he wants to find the next Charlie Parker. Yeah. And that's why he treats people that way. Oh. Because. He's like, you need this intense level of. Well, because like he tells a story in the movie about how Charlie Parker became Charlie Parker because uh, some drummer, Joe, someone. Um, Joe. I want to say Joe Johnson, but that's a director. Oh, I know. I know what you're talking about. Some, I can't, I can't think of his name, but yes. Yeah, so a drummer, like, he sat in for a session and he messed up. Yeah. And the drummer threw a cymbal at Charlie Parker's head. Yeah. And instead of giving up and being discouraged, Charlie Parker practiced so that he wouldn't screw up ever again. Yeah, I was at that same gig where that, that drummer told Charlie Parker, he was just like, you're never going to play again. You're horrible. Like, just don't waste your time. Yeah, he tells that story in the movie. And mm-hmm. so his whole motivation is like, is that yeah is is, okay. is try he he wants to be the cause of the next charlie parker. okay rather than seeking out a, <laughs> and being the next charlie parker himself yeah. he wants to make the next charlie parker um and it like it comes down to this this final sort of performance um <clears throat> with jk simmons leading the the band and, and miles teller drumming and mm-hmm. the movie's super 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 well shot especially for a first time director yeah the editing is super tight there's uh my favorite sequence is the movie's shot like steadicam and like on dollies and stuff mm-hmm. the whole time 
And then there's this one scene where Miles Teller's character finds out he's not the core drummer for the next performance. They're bringing in another guy. And as soon as he finds out that information, he walks into J.K. Simmons' office. But when it walks, the camera follows him. And it switches to not Steadicam. It switches to handheld. So it's jostling back and forth. And it represents that his whole, like, life has been thrown off balance by this. And I was, I was like, what a smart choice for a first-time director. Like, dang. And then... um, in the final drum solo uh, and performance of the movie, it's essentially this battle. Yeah. Like, this this silent battle <laughs> with music between J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller. And there's a part where, like, they're just, like, they're essentially trading shots, if yeah. you will, back and forth with J.K. Simmons conducting and Miles Teller uh, drumming. Mm-hmm. And they just pan really quickly a bunch of times like for yeah. a minute it's like a minute's worth of the drum solo it's just these fast pans back to each character and you feel this intensity of... yeah and it feels like a battlefield like it feels like two guys shooting at each other across a trench in like world war one or something yeah. it's so good wow movie was amazing it's oh my gosh i love that movie so much <laughs> um <clears throat> yeah but and i watched it with my dad who's also a drummer and he's the reason i play the drums and he he obviously loved it too and yeah watching miles teller play the drums was crazy like I was reading that he already played the drums, but he played the drums for four hours a day in preparation wow. for the role. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, check it out. Whiplash. Show one best picture. Don't know why it didn't. I don't know why I didn't get more acclaim. <laughs> movie was incredible. I don't understand. So, yeah, that's it for uh, what we watched this week. Um, you guys are going to hear another little sample, actually, of Corey's music. He wrote some riffs for the in-between parts of, of the show. So... Why we're here is to uh, do the premise of the podcast, which is before and after. So we're taking a movie we've never seen before, and we're giving our expectations for it. And then we're going to watch it and come back next week with uh, what we thought about it. And you, I sent you a Mm -hmm. list of movies I was planning on doing. MJ did. And you picked the most random one possible. It was like you did it on purpose. (laughs) You chose uh, New York, New York, which is a 1977 film by Martin Scorsese, and it stars Robert De Niro and Liza Minnelli. Robert De Niro is a saxophone player and Liza Minnelli is a Mm -hmm. singer and they sort of start this uh, musical and quasi-romantic relationship as far as I know. I actually don't know a lot about this movie. I I didn't really know a lot either. Um, I guess I found out it was a box office failure. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So it... um, yeah, I think the budget was like fourteen million or something, and it did not make that. So wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That was uh, that was Martin Scorsese's follow up to Taxi Driver. Yeah, which yeah. So like, <clears throat> De Niro was at the top of his game at this yeah. point. Like he had yeah. done Mean Streets <clears throat> a few years earlier, which put him on the map, and yep. then he did Taxi Driver, which was a massive hit yes. at the box office and critically, and won mm-hmm. a bunch of Academy Awards, and then. The next year, Scorsese and De Niro team up again for New York, New York, and it failed. Yes. So, it is a very unique choice. (laughs) Yeah. It caught me off guard. Like, it it popped up. It came across my email, and I was like, I have no idea where to find a copy of that movie. (laughs) You're like, Corey, what are you doing to me? (laughs) Yeah. I had to go on an adventure yesterday to find it. I tracked it down at Barnes & Noble, of all places. On Blu-ray, no less. Oh. Yep. Um... (laughs) 
so yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see uh, how how this plays out. Yeah. Um, I... So you know the. Obviously, you chose it because you play saxophone and jazz. Yeah. Um, I thought it would just be, like, a nice tie to, you know, a lot of, like, we're introducing the music for the before and after show. And, like I said, there's some jazz influence. And I just thought it would be kind of cool to to see, like, the framework of, like, where this movie is set in terms of, like, the history of jazz music. And, um, yeah, just to kind of, just to see the take on it. I, I had read, like, small synopsis that it was, like, you know, oh, like, jazz musicians and then, like, relationship drama of, like, you know, I guess, you know, how fame affects people who are in that, like, that realm and, like, how relationships. And so that was really interesting to me. So I was like, yeah, let's let's see what it is. But besides that, like, the only really, like, anything I knew about it is, like, the song New York, New York. Yeah. Which is kind of like a jazz standard now. Yeah. So... Had you heard of the movie before? Even I didn't even know it was no, not really. Yeah. So did you just like randomly? I am start IMDBing all the movies on the list. Yeah, and- I kind of went. <laughs> I kind of went through them and um, you know just seeing like okay, what's the general? I knew like I knew a good number of them, but mm-hmm. there was a lot of them I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And so when I got to that one, I was like, oh well, this could be interesting. And like I feel like this is a. I don't know, a different type role for Robert De Niro. So Yeah, for sure. He's super young in it too. He's yeah. a baby. <clears throat> and it's really and it's really weird and then like I didn't know but you know him and that director, like they've done lots of movies together and I was just like, Okay, well this should be this should be interesting. Yeah. That's uh, actually <laughs> something I wanted to talk to you about. How familiar are you with Martin Scorsese's films? Not super okay. familiar. Scorsese's my favorite director of all time. So when it came across I was like, All right. I'm down. Um, that guy has had the most interesting career trajectory because, you know, like I mentioned, he did Taxi Driver before, which yeah. is like this sort of like dark, seedy mm-hmm. underbelly of New York yeah. crime movie about vigilante justice. And then he followed up with this like musical, musical. about people yeah. who have a hard time getting along. Yeah. Uh, starring the same guy who was the psychopath in uh, Taxi Driver. Yes. <laughs> um, and like, that's kind of like. It's Scorsese is weird like that. Like it, most of his movies are about like taking powerful white men, smashing them into each other, and seeing what happens. <laughs> and like, but every once in a while he'll release a movie like New York, New York, or like um, Age of Innocence, which was like a Victorian era period romance piece. Um, or like Last Temptation of Christ. Like he did like a mm-hmm. film about the life of Christ that was super controversial. Yeah. Um, because I believe there's a sex scene between an angel and Mary in it. Oh. Yeah, I think that was the the biggest that, controversy yeah. over it. Um, Willem Dafoe plays Jesus in that movie. What? Yeah, I've always been super interested <laughs> yeah, to, to see that movie because like, Willem is, Dafoe is Jesus yeah, in like, it. That's an interesting interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so like, he, he just like every once in a while kind of throws this like weird loop in yeah. there. Like, um, you know, he did the movie Hugo, which oh, yeah. I, I don't know if you saw Hugo or not. Uh, no, but, I mean, like, I heard stuff about that. Yeah, and, like, that was, like, a super lighthearted, like, almost kids fantasy movie mm-hmm. that ended up being, like, a love letter to early cinema. Yeah. And then he followed that up with, like, The Wolf of Wall Street, which was, like, three hours oh, of a yeah. guy doing cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's... It's a very eclectic mix. Yeah, and, like, he's following Wolf of Wall Street up with this movie about Jesuit priests in the Philippines during this war that was going on and, like, the persecution they, they mm. went through and... All this stuff. with Andrew Garfield's actually playing the priest in it. Oh. It's a, uh, a, an adaptation of a movie called Silence. Um, 
or of a book called Silence uh, that that somebody wrote in the '60s about that wow. that war. Yeah, uh, Scorsese's really Catholic, and okay. so you see a lot of like Catholic symbolism yeah. in in his films. So uh, I don't know how much it's going to play in New York, New York, but I I read someplace like just in trying to get some information about it that um, he kind of like made this film as kind of like a tribute to. Um, I guess like jazz music and musicals in general. Yeah, he's he's obsessed with like old cinema. Yeah, um, Martin Scorsese is obsessed with old cinema. He actually helped produce and directed a couple PBS documentaries. One of them called Jazz, which was about the history of jazz music, mm-hmm. and one of them called Blues, which is about the history of blues music. I may have seen some of those. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a, he's a huge music nerd. He directed uh, the Last Waltz, which is the last concert that the band ever played together oh yeah um that was actually on the list too um and then he also directed a george harrison documentary called living in the material world he directed a phenomenal concert film called shine a light that's the rolling stones Mm. um and it was it's like it's not like young rolling stones it's like now rolling stones (laughs) it was it was after that super bowl performance i don't know if you remember when they performed on the super bowl it was awful and everyone was like they need to hang it up like everything is yeah everything they do is bad and like it just was super <laughs> sad seeing them in that shine a light is awesome they're like they're still strutting around i mean it's a little weird because they're ancient yeah but like they're super entertaining um the guitar work is incredible in it mm-hmm. charlie watts is a little laggy yeah. on the drums now <laughs> uh, especially when they do like paint it black like he's like they show up after he's just like, exhausted from playing paint it black yeah. <laughs> but like like Jack White shows up and does a song with them. Alicia oh, Keys cool. shows up. Yeah. yeah, it's an awesome concert film, and uh, I've always been interested to see The Last Waltz because of that. I own mm-hmm. it. And I've just never gotten around to yeah to watching it. And but, that would be interesting. Yeah, so he's a he's a big music nerd. He did No Direction Home, a four and a half hour Bob Dylan documentary. Wow. Yeah, uh, an awesome four and a half hour yeah <laughs> uh, Bob Dylan documentary, but it's it's tough to get through. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so Scorsese's got, like, a very big heart for music. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm actually really interested to see what that, uh, what that, how that translates into New York, New York. Yeah. Because uh, I don't know. Like, I, I, I just don't know. <laughs> I, can't, I can't really wrap my brain around it. Um, trying to find it yesterday, I was looking in drama and then ended up in the musical section mm-hmm. is where they had it. And so I was like, oh, dang. Yeah, this is there's gonna be more music in this than I thought there was going to be, um, and like it's a PG rated movie, which never happens to Scorsese yeah, movies. Yeah, um, so yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. I, I think that was kind of the move in the seventies. Like, you have a successful movie, and then you do a uh, something completely different or a musical. Um, Steve Martin did The Jerk, which was a massive success for him, and then he mm-hmm. did. Kendra, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I don't remember what the name of the... Pennies from Heaven. <laughs> he did Pennies from Heaven, and uh, it was a musical, like a straight-up, old-school, almost 30s-style musical picture, and it wow. tanked. It bombed <laughs> so bad. No one saw that movie. But that was this follow-up to, like, a super popular yeah. movie. So, I didn't... 70s were weird, man. 70s yeah. cinema is super weird. Uh, this movie came out in 77, so it came out the same year as Star Wars. Oh, um, okay. I don't know... 
in relation to it mm-hmm. what <laughs> else was happening well, yeah like well when this was released versus when star wars was released yeah that may have been a contributing factor to it being a box office failure yeah i was just very surprised because you know it's like i'm not super familiar with all of his work but you know it's like i'd seen i'd seen taxi and so it was just like he had a box office like flop like yeah. what so, yeah. Yeah, he... One of those happens every once in a while, too. Like, yeah. Hugo didn't do particularly well for him. I don't think Shutter Island did particularly well for oh, I him. I saw that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Scorsese's... That guy just... I, I love his eye for cinema. Like, he... he mm-hmm. He's very analytical when it comes to, um, th- like, the standards of stuff. And, like... Yeah. You know, we were talking about someone who subverts a trope earlier, mm-hmm. and even off mic, we had a huge conversation about yeah. about guys who subvert tropes, like th- mm-hmm. any of the guys involved with Community, uh, Joss Whedon, any yeah. of those types of guys that just sort of go, what's the standard? Let me flip it on its head, yep. is what you said. <laughs> Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Um, Scorsese is like, what's the standard? I'm going to do that because it's worked for so long. Like yeah. he's, he's like the most by the book, by the numbers guy um, but also, like, he finds ways to innovate. Like, he was one of the first guys to really use, like, pop music as background music, mm-hmm. rather than, like, either integrating it into the movie as, like, a musical, yeah. or just using, like, symphonic stuff. Mm-hmm. He was, he sort of revolutionized that, of, like, I'm gonna put a bunch of songs, actual songs, in my movie, and, like, let that underscore what's going on. Yeah. And, um, stuff like that, but almost every shot in every single one of his movies is stolen from another movie you've never heard of. Like, <laughs> yeah. just this weird, like, Swedish movie from 1910 that he's the only person who's seen it in 80 he's years. He's a very good student of film. Yeah, he's an amazing like. student of film. He does a lot for film preservation. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, I think he started the Film Preservation Society that, like, seeks out rare and, like, deteriorating films and restores them into, like, at the best picture quality they can based yeah. on those original masters. So he does a lot for that, which like I'm super passionate about. Yeah. I think maybe because he's my favorite <laughs> <Yeah>. director. <laughs> um, but I mean, he's responsible for some huge mafia epics like Goodfellas and Casino. And, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. He's just, he, he just knows what he's doing and you can tell he knows what he's doing. That's funny. I did not know he was your favorite director. So it's like, this was probably really a kind of like a, like out of left field choice. You were like, what? Yeah, and, like, I I need to get around to watching a lot more of his, like, 70s and 80s stuff. Like, he's got a bunch of 80s movies I've never seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've seen the popular ones, like yeah. Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Mean Streets, yeah. Casino, stuff like that. But I've never gotten into, like, he has this weird dark comedy called The King of Comedy, which is about, like, a Johnny oh, Carson yeah. guy. And, like, he's got this other weird movie called uh, After Hours, which is, like, a weird dark comedy in the 80s. Like, he did a bunch of comedies in the 80s, and, like... Mm-hmm. I've never known him to do comedy ever. Yeah. Like it's always just like guys who swear and stab each other a lot. <laughs> Those are usually the movies yeah. he's known for. So it's just like, oh yeah, here's this like movie about a late night talk show host that gets kidnapped by his biggest fan. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah, what are you talking what? about? <laughs> Does she swear and stab him? Because yeah. <clears throat> so watching this, I thought it was gonna be um or we haven't watched it yet but going into this um before i bought it my expectation was it's going to be like a couple who gets addicted to drugs because they're musicians and they like start doing all this heroin (laughs) and then like he slaps her a lot like that's kind of what i thought it was going to be and like like looking at the cover of the movie like it's super like it looks like a 30s musical yeah it looks super old school like 
big production yeah. movie. And, like, even on the back, it's got, like, these, like, huge big band sort of sequences, it looks mm-hmm. like. So... I really don't know what to expect out of this. What are you? What are you expecting out of this? I, I expect to see, um, kind of him paying like you know homage to, just like jazz music and like musicals in general. So very much kind of sticking probably to a lot of the like the formula if you're like familiar with musicals and yeah. Um, yeah, because, I mean, like, even all the information you've just given me, it sounds like if he's a really big, like, kind of a student of film and just, like, he loves music, it's like he's probably going to do something to, like, you know, he wanted to honor musicals. Yeah. Um, and maybe, I don't know, like, how much, like, possibly he's going to explore the dynamic of, like, you know, when you're a musician and there's fame and how that affects relationships. I was kind of expecting, like, you know, maybe he had something insightful to say about, you know, it's like, can those things coexist? There's a lot of people who are on the fence of, like, you know, you can't have both. Or, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like, well, you have to sacrifice something to choose one or the other. So it'll just be interesting to see his take on it. That makes sense, actually, now that you bring it up. Like, <clears throat> Scorsese, you know, I, I made fun of, like, he makes <laughs> movies about guys who swear and stab each other a lot. But, like, he's really trying to, like, explore. A lot of his movies are about exploring the darkness <clears throat> that comes with power. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mafia guys think they're untouchable, and so they like get yeah. weird and like <laughs> kind of psychopathic, <laughs> and even with each other, like that's what Goodfellas is about. And so he just like he really likes exploring like when power like m- breaks someone yeah. basically, and like that's kind of what this is. Like it's like fame mm-hmm. gets to both of these people, and like, yeah. Like, I, I, even though this is, I'm expecting this to be sort of a super traditional 30s, like, big yeah. studio picture feeling movie, I think there's going to be, a, like, a, an undercurrent throughout the entire mm-hmm. thing that's a little bit darker yeah. than anything we would have seen then. Um, partially because this is, you know, post-Vietnam, yeah. very, like, very fresh off Vietnam. Yeah. And so, like, you know, that was just sort of the social consciousness at the time. Like, yeah. everything had seen this war play out on TV and mm-hmm. and people were exhausted and depressed and sad and like they found catharsis in exploring the darkness that was happening yeah. to them in you know <clears throat> through this war. And so I, I think he's sort of looking back to World War II when it didn't mm-hmm. have that stigma as war. Yeah. And then applying like that social consciousness to that era. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm mm-hmm. I I I don't know. I'm I think it's gonna be <laughs> uh, I think it's going to be a traditional musical with a, like, really actually kind of messed up undercurrent. Yeah, because, I mean, like, I, yeah, I'm just very interested to see, like, what 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 does he have to say about, like, the relationship of these two people? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to watching these people play off each other more than I am the actual, like, musical stuff, yeah. I think. Um, especially because Liza Minnelli and uh, Robert De Niro <laughs> sounds like a crazy mashup yeah. of personalities. Like, I'd like to hear how they got along on set as actual people. Yeah, it's just very, like, it's like, oh, that's an interesting choice for, like, a screen couple. Yeah, um, yep. Cool. Just, yeah. So we're going to watch this, and we'll be back next week to uh, tell you, you know about what it. we think about it. Yep, you know? for sure. Uh, Corey, where can they find you online? I know you have a SoundCloud page, right? Oh, yes. Um, and actually, you can put the link um, to the music that I made for your show and stuff. If there's, oh, cool. you know, if you guys out there are like, oh, that's really sweet, and you want to like download it, it's like I have a page. It's just like uh, 
what is it? It's like nimbit.music, like backslash, like the Corey Tyndall band. MJ will put the link okay. someplace. And yeah. Yeah, they can listen to the before and after show and some of the other like jazz stuff I've done it's okay. on that page. Great. Yeah. Cool. And then are you on Twitter at all or? Uh, no, never really got into yeah. tweeting. Yeah, I understand. Um, that being said, you can follow <laughs> me on Twitter and watch me never tweet anything. At before and I'll make after him tweet pop. something this week. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be my social media manager from now on. Be like, MJ, do it. No. <laughs> um, it's at before and after pod. That's at before the letter N after pod. I said it right this time. I have to edit every episode because I never <laughs> get it right. Um, and then if you guys actually want to interact with me and have me get back to you, uh, you can email me at before and after show at gmail.com. Do it, guys. Yep. Give him tough questions. Do it. I, I do this show because you guys listen. And if I don't know you guys are listening, I don't know why I would do the show. So let me know you're listening. Comment. <laughs> subscribe on SoundCloud. Um, working on getting it on iTunes. I'm working towards it slowly but surely. And uh, until next time, do you want to say it? You're going to be like, do you know it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I know you have multiple times you're like, do you know what it is? Uh, I do know it. I just blanked on it. Wait, wait. Uh, go watch something. There we go. Sweet.